as we come to the final conference of this retreat, it's actually a beginning point for the rest of our lives. And first of all, let me thank all of you for being here, for giving your time to the Lord, for your desire to have communion with the Lord and for responding to his call to deepen that communion. I know that it's been a challenge in that three conferences a day in addition to the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass, and Holy Hours, uh, and uh, healing services, uh, that's, uh, that's a way to expand yourself, even for religious, you know, even for religious. That's, uh, you did well, very well, so I, I thank you, and uh, uh, it's a great witness to me, a priest you know, is, is edified by uh, the people. And it will help me uh, live my, the priesthood Jesus Christ shares with me in a better way, seeing your witness. We're all witnesses to each other. And so we need to give that witness. We have a responsibility to each other and to the world. One of the greatest needs of our time is adoration. And it's not just the holy hour of Eucharistic adoration. That's part of it, an essential part of it. But to live a life of adoration, that's what we're created for, to adore God. And mankind has lost sight of that. The real crisis in the world today is the crisis of faith where God has been compartmentalized or even or ignored. And so let us make a commitment to adore him. I remember a holy bishop building on the word amen. He liked to use letters as well. And uh, so the A stood for adoration. M stood for morality. And understand that the moral life is basically living the faith. The, the church is infallible on faith and morals. That's because morals is the living out of the faith. Okay? So that's the, 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 the gift one of the many gifts Jesus gave to his church, this infallibility on faith and morals when a magisterial, a proper magisterial decree is given. But to live the moral life, which is to live the life of Jesus. And the E is to educate our children in families the family is the domestic church. We need to educate our children. As I've been giving missions around the country, one of the things I've been sharing uh, in the midst of, of calling people to live mission, continue the mission of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do the will of the Father, is 
to live and practice our Catholic faith in the, in the simple ways that we all know that have been handed on to us from our previous generations. For example, the family rosary. We know families that pray together stay together. Okay, and I recommend pick a time, 7 o'clock p.m. every day, for example, in families. And I know at first there's going to be resistance in families. You know, it's, if they have young children, gathering the children is a challenge, or older children, you know, who are, you know, caught up into technology and social media, gathering them. But these 17 minutes, and that's about what Venerable Arch, Archbishop Fulton Sheen says the prayer takes, it's, it's perfectly uh, psychologically suited to our our human nature. Uh, the, the prayer of the rosary has a, a body, which is the vocal prayer. It has a soul, which is the meditations. And it has a spirit, the spirit that we pray it in. And we're contemplating the face of Christ in the School of Mary. But what I share with people is that if you do this at 7 p.m., at first there will be resistance, but you want to set a time so there's no excuses because there's always things coming up, always. But 7 p.m. And then what's going to happen is the children will remember that we prayed the rosary at 7 p.m. That's what we do. And so when they have children, then their children's children, that's what they're going to do. And then their children's children's children are going to do that. You understand? We need to hand this on. And, and it's the simple things that we've been taught. Like I referred to earlier in, in a conference, how, how weekly confession was just what you did. You know? Uh, a, a Eucharistic holy hour every week. Um, the Sabbath rest, Sunday, the day of the Lord. To rest does not just mean to sleep all day. That's the problem. We think that that's what rest is. Actually, I find that if I sleep too much, my body aches more. I, I get weaker. But to rest in the Lord, the Sabbath rest, Pope Emeritus Benedict says, this is at the heart of the covenant. When you look at the creation account, the, the six days of creation were to make a place where God and man could fall in love. But now, now this seventh day, this, this love, this resting in love, and it calls for contemplation. It's, it's the true understanding of leisure. I don't have time to go into it all, but you could read a book on, by Joseph Pieper on leisure. But it's basically to enter into contemplation, to contemplate God. And that's going to renew you, recreation, recreation. Not just being busy, 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 or just sleeping, sleeping, sleeping. It's actually contemplating God, contemplating God. For example, just go out and have you ever contemplated God in a hummingbird? I mean, hummingbirds are just amazing. I mean, seriously. Hummingbirds are amazing. I mean, just that hanging out thing and then going forward and backwards and up and down and zoom and just, wow. I mean, or, or the bumblebee. Scientists cannot explain how a bumblebee flies given its body weight. 
You know, but God just does these things. God's amazing. He's always, you know, he's speaking and everything. A giraffe. I mean, a giraffe is, I mean, think about that. God just said, I'm going to create this giraffe. You know, this cool, long-necked, spotted creature that just can eat at the top of the trees. And, you know, basically walking along all happy, you know, not worried about all these other, you know, predators. Just sitting there, you know, I'm a giraffe. I'm pretty cool. You know, I'm, I'm there and, you know. And, and. You know, creation, it just scratches the surface of the beauty of God. Then along the way, the preaching of angels and men is supposed to help us, but ultimately contemplation deep into the word of God, which our Blessed Mother will help us with. But adoration is the greatest need of our time and contemplation. Adoration will lead to contemplation. Adoration is basically the face-to-face with God, so that you can go into the contemplation, which is the heart-to-heart with God. Okay? That's natural for us. I have a face-to-face with you, and then eventually we have a heart-to-heart. Beautiful. But that's our rest. That's how we're renewed. And so we need to live our Catholic faith and I'll go more deeply into faith and love, love and faith, and prayer in the homily because the gospel is about perseverance and prayer and faith. But I want to tie a lot of things in together with that. I do want to reiterate, though, adoration is the greatest need of our time. And that means adoration in in spirit and truth at all times, not, not just in the holy hour, but the holy hour is so important. And the other thing I would like to share with you is Mary, our blessed mother, is the divine answer to the needs of our time. Mary is the divine answer to the needs of our time. The divinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gave us the blessed Virgin Mary to show us how hu- humanity should relate to the divinity. Okay, Now, Jesus is the God-man. He's the, the way, the truth, the life. But Mary's the first and perfect disciple. And as a human person, remember, Jesus is a divine person who has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. Mary is a human person. She shows us how to say yes to God at all times. And that's what we've been doing, going through the mysteries of the Most Holy Rosary, Contemplating the face of Christ in the school of Mary, Mary, mother of the Eucharist. So this connects it all together for you. Okay? So we come to the glorious mysteries appropriately here on the day of the Lord. There's so much that could be entered into, but I I hope that the foundation's been laid and, and in your prayer. You write down for yourself ways that the Blessed Virgin Mary is going to teach you about the Eucharist in the mysteries of the Rosary. Okay, this was just a starter for the rest of your life. Okay? The resurrection. Praise the Lord. Jesus rose from the dead. 
The crisis in the world today is the crisis of faith. If you listen to Pope Emeritus Benedict, if you listen to Cardinal Seurat, the crisis in the world is the crisis of faith. And the fruit of this mystery, the virtue of the mystery of the resurrection is faith. Now, those are, like I said, these are some interesting questions when you pray the Most Holy Rosary. Why is a certain virtue or a certain fruit or a certain grace assigned to a certain mystery? There's 20 mysteries. They all involve faith, right? But why is faith particular to the resurrection? Well, if the Lord did not rise from the dead, we would not be here. He rose from the dead, though. That's a historical fact. There were witnesses upon witnesses upon witnesses. It's a historical fact. And then just the evidence of the fact that his apostles who were dispersed, I'll say, that's a nice word, dispersed at the crucifixion of our Lord, they fled, okay, they're behind closed doors for fear that they're going to be crucified. They're discouraged. Have you ever wondered what, why Thomas wasn't in the upper room that, that one night of the resurrection that Jesus appeared? He, he was discouraged. He was out you know, walking around just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You know, you know, all their hope was in, in this Messiah who they saw working all these miracles and giving this divine teaching, and then he gets crucified. But the Lord rose, and so these men who were hiding all of a sudden after Pentecost go out to the ends of the world and preach fearlessly that the Lord is risen. Did they just get together and say, okay, well, we didn't really have this courage while the Lord was here, but now that we're together, we're going to get our courage up and go to the ends of the world. Is, is, that, is that real? Obviously not, right? The Lord appeared to them. In fact, this image of divine mercy, which I like very much, has only one shortcoming. Not that it has any shortcomings, but if, if there were a shortcoming to be addressed, because I, I really like that image, very powerful. But the image that St. Faustina had, you, see, you would see behind the Lord the door. That's the Lord coming through those locked doors on the evening of the resurrection. The Lord will come into your life. That's the Lord in the Eucharist. That's the Lord in the Eucharist coming right into your heart, even through maybe some closed doors that might be there. Maybe you're hiding behind some fears. When you spend time in the presence of the Eucharistic Lord, or remember this conference is about Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, so especially when you receive our Lord in the Most Holy Communion, he's entered in behind the doors of your being and come right into your being to transform you, to help you overcome fear and lack of forgiveness and uh, insecurities and guilt and doubt. He comes into our lives and transforms our lives. That's the resurrection. 
Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is. He rose. What does it mean that he rose? Like I shared with you earlier, for me, it means that I can believe everything he taught. Because if someone says, I'm going to raise myself from the dead, and they do it, I'm believing them. And he's the only one who ever did that. You know, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen, you know, points to how he, Jesus is the one who was prophesied. You know, he's the only one who was prophesied that he would come. You know, Muhammad wasn't prophesied. Buddha wasn't prophesied. But the greatest proof is that the Lord rose. Muhammad didn't rise from the dead. Buddha didn't rise from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He's God. Hallelujah. Right? And, and our faith is in him. He conquered all of our enemies. You can think of a, you know, five enemies. Sin, Satan, death, the flesh, and the world. Sin, Satan, death, the flesh, and the world. Let's overcome those enemies. Brother John is smiling right now because yesterday at the, I'll share with you, at the holy hour of reparation, which I was so glad that we all prayed for because part of this conference as well is to have you have communion with God, but then you go out and share that communion, like the connection between the first joyful mystery and the, and the, and the, and the second from the reception of the Lord to the visitation, taking the Lord to others. Well, there is the apostolic part of this retreat in your life. You have received communion. You have prayer and contemplation. It leads you to adoration, but then you go out and serve others. But as we were praying before the Lord, I didn't even know I was doing it. It's just in my nature. I'm imploring the Lord for those petitions that we had, and I guess I was making a fist, like, Lord, we have, come on, let's go, let's do this, Father. But, you know, it could be interpreted like I'm making a fist at the Lord, so I, I have to be more careful, because I wasn't making a fist at the Lord. But, but I was like, let's go, let's do this, you know, Lord, I trust you. The world needs to know the Lord rose. Now, you know, many people will say, you know, I've heard of Jesus. I, I heard he, he was a, you know, a prophet and a, a good man and a great teacher and, you know, lived 2,000 years ago. I, but I don't really know. What people need to see is that he lives in us. And when he sees the transformation in your own life, people will know that he lives. Part of my witness isn't the witness that you would think. Many, many think, oh, it's because Father gives these talks and conferences and missions and serves as a priest and appears to conduct himself in a certain way that's befitting of a man of God. And yes, that was all transformation. But the people who really knew me from where I came from to where I am, it's proof that there is a God. Let's just leave it at that point. <laughs> it's absolute proof there is a God. And people should see that in your own life. The Lord rose, and he is the resurrection and the life. So he'll come through those closed doors. And in St. Faustina's diary, 
you see him with his hand up. He's going to make the blessings. She saw an image of, I think, cities and even nations covered with nets and webs. And when Jesus made the sign of the cross, these nets and webs were cut and people were set free. That's a beautiful way. I, I sense chills through me on that one, you know. He's just cutting all those nets and webs, setting you free from fears and doubts and worries. And this world is just going to get more and more full of doubts and worries and fears and anxieties because that's what the world builds upon. They want us to live in fear. Jesus came to give us peace. When he rises from the dead, peace be with you. He comes through the doors, peace be with you, peace, peace. Now, I use a little anacronym for peace. P stands for pray, especially pray the rosary. E stands for Eucharist. A stands for adoration. C stands for confession, regular confession. And E stands for embrace the will of God. That's a summary of the message of Fatima in many ways, in addition to consecration and reparation. At Fatima, Lucy, Lucia later wrote that at the heart of the revelation of Fatima was faith, hope, and charity, and the Eucharist. It really is a Eucharistic apparition, from the prayers of the angel of peace to, you know, what Our Lady was talking about. Let's live Eucharistic-centered lives and teach others to do that. But the Lord says, peace be with you. We're supposed to be bringing peace to this world that has no peace. And we're supposed to bring love. Now, I do also want to stress love. You can think of Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene on the morning of the resurrection. Was Mary Magdalene at the tomb because she had faith that the Lord had risen from the dead? Or was she at the tomb because she loved the Lord so much? That she just, she couldn't, you know, I just want to at least treat his body properly. What, which, what was the reason why she was there? Love, right? Faith and love go together. Faith, hope, and charity, they go together. You can never separate them. But believe me, you, if you don't have faith that God exists, then you're not going to love him, okay? But you, you have that faith, and you have the faith in the teachings of the church and and. and and, and you have faith in his presence, and, and we all can grow in faith. But ultimately, your faith is going to be strengthened now through love. In fact, I read by one of the saints that when you come before the Lord for adoration, start with love. Don't start with telling him your problems. I mean, you know, let's just put it on a natural level. So even if you, your best friend who you, you, you love, you know, you really care for them. Every day they come to you and the first thing they start to talk to you about is their problems. Eventually you're like, uh, can't you just say hello and smile? I mean, can't you just say I love you? I mean, can't you just start off just simple? You know, like, would you like a cup of water or something? I don't know. <laughs> but but all, every time I see you, you know, you're, oh, you know, did you hear that um, you know, the, it's going to be the coldest winter in five years in Nebraska. 
I mean, okay, uh, you know, I, I can't change that, so okay, th thanks for the information. I'll make sure I get an extra scarf. I don't know, but I mean, you know, I, I just, I got better things. I got more important things. I'm trying to focus on God, you know. I mean, God's, our founder told us never complain about the weather because In the beginning, when God created, he put Adam and Eve in paradise, perfect temperature. Everything was right. It was through sin that things got distorted, right? So in reparation, we accept whatever God sends. But also, let's get over the complaining because, you know, I remember a story I heard from a priest that this one elderly woman said to her son, she goes, I don't know why I'm still here. All my friends have been taken. I'm the last one left. And, you know, actually in love, her son said, Mom, it's because you complain too much. Wow. You see, in heaven, we don't want somebody who's just going to be complaining for all eternity. Come on, let's just get over it, please. I don't, when you get to heaven, I don't, I, don't want to be, I don't want you next to me for all eternity and saying, it's too hot, too cold, I don't like the food, whatever, you know. I mean, just please. We're in heaven. This is for eternity. So you, if you, you got to get purified of that through purgatory before you go to heaven because there's just not going to be that complaining, honestly. You know, you're looking at God. I, no, no complaints, please. Let's, let's work through that. You know, I will share with you another story of, you know, it's just to make a point. There was this one man who entered the most rigorous religious community in the world where they could only speak two words every 10 years. And after 10 years, the man, the religious, came to his abbot, and he said, hard bed. <laughs> 10 years later, he comes to his abbot, and he says, bad food. Ten years later, he comes to his abbot and he says, I quit. <laughs> and the abbot said, I'm not surprised because all you've done ever since you've been here is complain. <laughs> but you got the point, right? It's not the amount of words, it's your attitude. Who's going to change your attitude? Jesus, one of the things I preach every Easter season, especially during the octave of Easter, which is eight days of celebrating the resurrection. It's that important of a mystery to learn how the resurrection should change your life. The church gives us two octaves during the liturgical year. At the birth of Christ, every day is Christmas for eight days. And at Easter, every day is Easter for eight days, an octave. And then we have a whole Christmas season and a whole Easter season. That's because those mysteries are so profound, they should change your life. What does it mean that the Lord rose from the dead? And one of the things I preach to people is I, I keep saying, and my friend uses this all the time, he's quoting it to me, don't go back to the tomb. Don't go back to the tomb. 
Don't go back to the tomb. Go forth into the new life that Jesus won for you. That's what this is all about, a new life. I am the resurrection and the life. It's a new life, but don't be afraid to go forth in the new life. But human beings get afraid to go forth, and Mary's going to teach you how to go forth. See, she's the woman of faith, but you even can look back in the book of Exodus. The people got set free after all these miracles God worked in Egypt. They get set free. The Red Sea parts, they're out in the desert. Now God's forming them. And God continues to form us in trust and to build our faith and, and, and to, you know, that we would increase in love. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they have no water. Things are getting difficult, you know. And, and they start complaining. And, and then they have this, you know, this, this statement where they say, Oh, you know, back in Egypt, remember, remember the fish and the leeks and the, oh, the cucumbers and the melons, and then the one that really, you know, gets me is, and the garlic. Got to have that garlic. You know, I mean, ah, uh, you know, we were slaves. We were getting beat every day. We were suffering. But, oh, just if I have garlic, I'll just be so happy. I mean, really, people? We don't know what to do with our freedom. You see, go forth. Mary, the woman of faith, will teach you how to go forth into the Eucharistic life, put out into the deep, deep Ducanalcum. That's the resurrection, our faith. We can believe everything Jesus said. He has conquered the world. Be not afraid, little flock. And then that takes you to the second glorious mystery. I will be with you always until the end of the world. You know, we got to hold on to those promises Jesus has made. He is here until the end of the world. When you receive him at the, in, in the most holy sacrament in the, in the Eucharist, he's with you in the most intimate way. And he's there to help you. He's in your corner. He's your friend. He's on your side. What else do you need? And Mary will teach you this. You know, it's said by one of the church fathers that, you know, the apostles needed the, the ascension because now they would really start to grow in, in, that, in that trust in God who, who, who's not just there walking with them physically, but now they don't just, now they're, just they're, they're not limited so much to his manhood while that, you know, He's the God-man, but they understand he's the God who ascended. But he gives them a mission now. Again, remember the first joyful mystery, you receive the Lord. The second joyful mystery, you take the Lord to others. Well, first glorious mystery, you're receiving the new life. Second glorious mystery, you're taking this new life to others. Because Jesus says... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all I have taught you. There's three parts to it. First, go and make disciples of all nations. Second, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Third, teach them all I taught you. That is the missionary mandate we all have. Now, 
These two mysteries are very closely connected. All the mysteries of the rosary are connected. Mary will teach you, but the fruits of the first glorious mystery is faith. The second glorious mystery is hope. And the third glorious mystery of charity with the Holy Spirit coming to us. I'll get to that. But there's a definition in Scripture of the relationship between faith and hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen or the conviction of things unseen or the certitude in things unseen, however you want to look at it. But faith is the substance of things hoped for. What do you hope for, my brothers and sisters? Do you hope for What we're promised by our faith, what Jesus Christ has promised, are you living that faith actively with confidence in it that God has revealed this faith to us and established this faith? Do you have faith in the Eucharist? We say Mysterium Fidei, the mystery of faith, in the Mass. There is the mystery of faith. And we know that, based on current surveys, one-third of Catholics in name, only one-third believe that this is really the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, so needed this Eucharistic reality being lived by us. Adoration is one of the greatest needs of our time, and that connects to understanding the gift of the Eucharist and then sharing the gift of the Eucharist with others. And if somebody's going through a lot of troubles, they're losing hope, just bring them, say, hey, you want to you go before the Lord? Just bring them into the chapel. Bring them before the Eucharistic Lord for adoration. You know what? They're going to feel a peace. They're going to feel a power. We got story after story after story like that of people's lives being touched by our Lord, our Eucharistic Lord. Get them in his presence. Yes, the word of God. We have faith in the word of God. And we, we, we would read the, you know, I would read scripture with people. I would pray the rosary with people. But I also want to get them in the presence of the Lord. You see, the ascension, our lady is going to teach you as mother of the Eucharist, First, in the, in the resurrection, how to live a resurrected life, how not to go back to the tomb, how to live your freedom. In the ascension, our mother, mother of the Eucharist, is going to teach you how to ascend above this world. Ascend above this world. This is not home. We don't try to make a little nest, all a little comfortable. This is where I'm going to stay for all eternity. No. We're exiles. We're on a pilgrimage. Our journey is to heaven, to communion with God. We need to ascend above this world. So sometimes when you feel this world pulling you down, turn to the Lord in the Eucharist. Have Our Lady teach you how to ascend above this world. And that's going to help you carry out your missionary mandate because when you, you need to see yourself as a sent person. Why am I here this weekend? Because I'm sent here by my father. Why are you here this weekend? Because you're sent here by your father. 
And if we see that we're sent, it just changes everything. Wherever I go, I'm sent. And so then I'm free, so I don't say, you know, I don't fall in the trap of a lot of people. If only I got out of this place. And if only if this place would change. And if only that thing was different. That doesn't matter. The main thing is, wherever I go, I'm still there. I'm the one that's got to be worked on. Changing places is... I'm sent wherever I go. You're sent. I actually had this image of these three sisters here. I, I, I don't know why I had this image this morning, but I really had this image of them <laughs> walking into... A bait shop. You know what a bait shop is? Where people will buy maybe, you know, fishing lures and, um, you know, maybe some live bait to go catch fish. And I could see them walking in there and this, I could see this man. And I'm not talking about like I had some mystical vision. It just came to me, okay, this thought that. But now comes, comes in these three. They're eschatological signs. They're signs of God's presence on earth. That's what they are, right? That's, that's what they are. They're spouses of Christ, and they're witnessing you know, that, that God is present. And so they walk into the bait shop, and let's say the, the man is getting his bait ready to go fishing all day Sunday, and he's not going to go to Mass. Well, these three walk in, and they, the man sees them, and they're like, he goes, Oh, that's right. I knew I was supposed to get closer to God. I knew God's been calling me. I've been wanting to get close to God. Wow, it changes everything. Just the presence. No words are needed. So I don't know if you go to bait shops, but in any event, all of us, you know, we should be carrying the Lord, but ascend above this world. We don't use worldly techniques with the world. Otherwise, the world's just going to say, you outworlded us. Your worldly techniques were better than my worldly techniques. I th- really think that's part of the problem in the church. Uh, if this is being recorded, I actually hope it goes to all the bishops of the world. I really do, this one. And I'm not, you know, we've got to pray for our bishops. You know, the, uh, an exorcist revealed that, I mean, the enemy... The, the devils hate bishops the most. I mean, they are, wow. You can only imagine the cross that bishops have to carry. These are successors of the apostles. We need them. We love them. We pray for them, right? We're in this together. We're one church, right? Let's not get all caught up in our own little separate tribes. You know, we're one body. But I would say if I got a chance to speak that I I do think that we need to focus on the main thing, which is the Lord is risen. Jesus revealed Trinitarian love, that God is love. Jesus revealed the way, the truth, the life. That Jesus established the church, and we all have a mission, and God's got a plan, and God's got the victory, and God gave us the Blessed Virgin Mary, and Mary will help us. And, and I think all the bishops know that. But when the world is attacking, sometimes what we do is we get caught up in using worldly uh, defenses. For example, let's get more lawyers. 
and let's have more administrative manuals and let's have more procedures and this and that and the other thing. And the world's better at that than us. That's what the world does. So we don't address the world with worldly means. Yes, we're, you know, gentle as the dove and shrewd as the serpent, but it's not about outworlding the world. <laughs> it's about using the divine answer, simplicity, you know, faith, hope, charity. And I know the bishops know that. But I, I, I've been told, you know, bishops pretty much got to walk around with almost a, a lawyer on each side of them now. Everything they say, you know, is being scrutinized and is, can possibly be the result of a, a lawsuit. But let's just rise above. Let's ascend above this world. And that's what our mother will teach us. So I am no one to be, you know... trying to uh, have a way of presenting that appears that I know something better that's than others. I, I, I can only imagine the weight that they're under, and we need to pray for them and sacrifice for them. But I do know that we don't want to just use worldly ways to fight the attack of the world. We need to go to higher ground. And that's for us, in our families. Let's ascend. Ascend above this world. As a matter of fact, when you talk, when you read in the scriptures about going across the waters, when Jesus walks on the waters, the boat of bark of Peter is going across the waters. What that represents is we're going across the waters of this world to our destiny, and Mary is the star of the sea. You see, so we don't want to drown in the world and what we need to do is we need to get in the bark of Peter and stay in the bark of Peter. Don't go too far to the left. Don't go too far to the right because you'll be out of the boat. <laughs> stay in the boat of Peter. If there's no Peter, there's no church. There's a lot of chatter in the world, even addressing, you know, questioning the Holy Father. Without Peter, there is no church. Period. Okay. The third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come by means of the powerful intercession, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Our Lady will teach you about how to relate to the Holy Spirit. I would love to just give a retreat the whole weekend just on relating to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so misunderstood. If you want to be holy, which you're created to be, be holy as your Father's holy, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. If you want to be holy, you have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's right in his name, right? If you want to live a spiritual life, you need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's right in his name. I'll just make it that simple. You want to be holy and you want to have a true spiritual life, you have to relate to the Holy Spirit. And besides, here's the good news. You see, a lot of people, you know, they're concerned about possession and demonic activity, and they should be. There is 
an evil spirit. There are evil spirits in this world. But I tell you the surest way to overcome them is to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. You know, normally when you hear the word possession, you know, you think, you think of the most negative thing. But how about being possessed by the Holy Spirit? If you're possessed by the Holy Spirit, everything's all right. He's God. The enemy is just this little creature that's like a snake crawling on its belly. You know, exorcists make clear that the battle between Jesus and the enemy is not a battle between equals. The most difficult part of it is working with the person who has free will. It's the person who's using their free will or misusing their free will to stay attached to those evil spirits. But there's not a battle between equals. God is God. Angels are creatures. Humans are creatures. God is God. Okay? So we need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I started off this conference with this prayer that a an awesome brother gave me that John Paul the Great used to pray every day because his dad, his father, Carol Sr., said to Carol Wojtyla when he was young, his father said to him, you don't pray to the Holy Spirit enough. You ought to pray to him. This is the father of John Paul the Great. Carol Sr. said to Carol Jr., You don't pray to the Holy Spirit enough. You ought to pray to him. So he gave him this prayer, and I'm going to read it to you now, since it's being recorded, and if there's somebody listening. But Pope John Paul II prayed this every day. Every day. And you have to listen carefully. Holy Spirit, I ask you for the gift of wisdom to better know you and your divine perfections. For the gift of understanding to clearly discern the spirit of the mysteries of the holy faith. For the gift of counsel that I may live according to the principles of this faith. For the gift of knowledge that I may look for counsel in you and that I may always find it in you. For the gift of fortitude that no fear or earthly preoccupations would ever separate me from you. For the gift of piety that I may always serve your majesty with a filial love. For the gift of the fear of the Lord that I may dread sin which offends you, O my God. Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, kept this prayer on a handwritten note and prayed it every day for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, offering a Hail Mary and an Our Father for each of the seven gifts. That's good enough for me. Wow. Do you ask for the gift of wisdom when you need wisdom? You know, you're in a situation. I, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of situations. I... I, I, I we all have different, you know, responsibilities God has given us. We need divine wisdom, divine wisdom, divine wisdom. Now, if that's in the word of God, too, we need the Holy Spirit to help us believe in the word of God. But the, the, the fruit of this mystery is charity. And 
the gift of wisdom and the virtue of charity are connected. The wisest thing you can do is to become charity because God is charity by grace to live in him. Whenever you're wondering what you should do, always be charitable. Period. That's wisdom. Wisdom is doing the will of God. It's connected to the beatitude of blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Why is that? If everybody in the world were doing the will of God right now, there would be peace on earth. Could you imagine, and it should be, could you imagine if today all of China, all of Russia, and all of the United States became Catholic? There'd be peace on earth. Seriously. But it has to start with me. You know, you know that little song, I don't know if I, it's one of my favorites, but it's got a good message, you know. Let there be peace on earth. And let it begin with me. Okay. I don't know, you know, that's a good point right there. The song could, you know, that's a good point. I want to stay charitable. But we can't just leave it at sentimental charity. You know the great prayer attributed to St. Francis, let me make, an, make me an instrument of thy peace, right? Those things are so important. Living the life of Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom incarnate. And so I could go through all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they relate to certain virtues and how they relate to certain beatitudes. All of that's taught by St. Thomas Aquinas. But this is not a theological course. The main point is have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Who is the spouse of the Holy Spirit and the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Blessed Virgin Mary. You want to have that relationship? Run to your mama. I'll share this with you right now. I've mentioned along the way I grew up in Detroit. But now I can proudly say I am a mama's boy. When I was growing up, you didn't want to be known as a mama's boy. But I am happy to be known as a mama's boy. Whatever comes up in my life, every challenge, mom! Like the icon of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, you know, Jesus has like the one shoe falling off to already to kind of indicate, you know, he's running to her, you know. I mean, there's deep indication there. It also represents his humanity, that shoe falling off. But I just like the fact that the shoe's falling off. Like he's running to her. You know, he sees Michael with the, and Gabriel with the instruments of his passion. He knows what he's born for. But, you know, look at this right here. I mean... This is one of the most beautiful statues of Our Lady I've, I've seen. I came into this chapel, and I'm like, I want to be like Jesus like that right there. I, I, I want to be just like that. That's all I want to be. If I'm just like that, everything will be okay. Everything will be okay, huh? I, I don't need to be the big, you know, in charge of everything. I just need to be right there. Everything will be okay. Mary will help us know the Eucharist. When I, you receive the Eucharist, I was going to go into this whole teaching of the Eucharist, Mystery of Love, by St. Veronica Giuliani. She's a patron saint of mine. I was ordained on her feast day. 
And she's talking about the mystery of the Eucharist, the mystery of love, and how basically you're actually receiving the Trinity. Now, again, theologically, you have to realize it's only Jesus in the Eucharist, but concomitantly, wherever Jesus is, there's the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity's never separated, right? But only Jesus became, assumed our human nature, and assuming our humanity. But where he is in the Eucharist, there's the Father and there's the Holy Spirit, and that's what she's talking about. And she's talking about almost how it's an entry into heaven. So when you receive the Eucharist, you're receiving fire. You're receiving the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? You're receiving fire. And as I said earlier in the Mass, there's those two epiclesis, the epiclesis over the gifts, but then the call for us to be the body of Christ. The last two mysteries, oh, I mean, I got five, four minutes to go through two of the greatest mysteries. They're all so great. Now, let me just make this clear. The first 18 mysteries are all straight from Scripture. The last two mysteries are referred to in Scripture in many ways. As I said, the 19th mystery of Mary's being assumed into heaven is really in that great passage where those who God foreknew, he predestined. Those who he predestined, he likewise called. Those he called, he in turn justified. Those he in turn justified, he glorified. But everyone is taken to heaven in their proper order. The proper order is after Jesus, then who's going to be assumed into heaven? Of course, Mary was sinless. She had all all the perfections, perfections in virtue. It was only appropriate when you read the document of Mary's assumption why she was assumed into heaven and properly is there. Because also, this is a fulfillment of the promises. When you live the life that Jesus asks us to live, he promises to take us to heaven. Everybody in their proper order, for us, it will be at the end of time when he returns, right? But for Mary, she was taken there properly, what I'd like you to think of just simply, Mary and the Eucharist, is, is how the Eucharist lifts you up like Mary was lifted up into heaven. This is how I want you to think of it. This is the Marian Eucharistic part of it, okay? I'm just going to make it simple and get to the point. The Eucharist, in a way, lifts you up into heaven the way that Mary was lifted up into heaven, in a different way, of course, but... You know, in a way, can't you hear when Mary was assumed, the father saying, come higher, my daughter. You've always done my will and pleased me. Can't you hear Jesus say, come higher, my mother. You've given your whole life to me. Be with me. Can't you hear the Holy Spirit say, come higher, my spouse. You are love. You're that dove in the cleft of the Song of Songs. Come higher. But can't you hear God say to you in the Eucharist, come higher, come higher, come higher? That's the point. That's a meditation. And then Mary crowned queen of heaven and earth. Now, you go to Revelation 12. John saw the ark up in heaven. I could go into the whole background behind that, you know, 
after the time of Jeremiah, they could not find the ark because it is, it's, it's said that Jeremiah probably hid the ark because they were going to go into captivity. So after the time of Jeremiah, we don't know where the ark of the covenant was. Now, St. John in the gospel says, or I mean, in Revelation, not the gospel, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the sacred scriptures, there's the ark. It's the woman. That's about to give birth to the son, but then there's this dragon there. But everything's going to be okay, right? There's the ark. It's in heaven. Mary, crowned as queen of heaven and earth, clothed with the sun, standing on the moon, which means a victory, standing on top of it, with a crown of 12 stars. You know, she's a queen. She's queen and mother, but St. Therese of Lesue would say, I relate to her more as mother than queen. I think Therese, is, Therese had this statue in her house when she had her miraculous healing. It was, and she called it the Virgin of the Smile. That was the name of that statue, the Virgin of the Smile. Can't you just see the Virgin smiling at you from heaven? Here she is, Our Lady of Fatima. But one thing I want to share with you, and you know, what, what is the crown that Mary's crowned with? The ultimate crown is being crowned with the life of the Trinity. Have you ever heard the saying, the crowning achievement of your life? The crowning achievement of your life? What would be the greatest crowning achievement of your life? You can, we'll leave it on that note. What would be the greatest crowning achievement of your life? To be filled with God to the maximum extent possible. And you already received God in the Eucharist. And Mary's going to teach you that. Already a foretaste of heaven. Food for the journey. The Eucharist is going to fill you with grace and charity. All the things we've talked about. Everything that's in this rosary. And so then you live the Eucharistic life under Our Lady's watchful motherly care and her intercession and everything's going to be all right. I'll end where I began. Everything's going to be all right. That was the first word that was given to me when I walked in this chapel. Right now, everybody's running around in this world, you know, like chicken little. You know, the sky's falling, the sky's falling, there's crisis here, there's crisis there. I don't want to be chicken little. I want to be little child, little Zach of God. Father Zachary of the mother of God. Yeah, I'm little, but I'm not going to be a chicken. I'm God's child. Our novice master used to say to us, you know, to overcome the world. Uh, he would walk to us, and he was a big man, and, you know, he, he came from India, and he had this voice, God rest his soul, Father Santan Pinto, a greatest novice master possible. And, and just to train us in many ways, he, he said, if somebody calls you a chicken, are you going to start walking around saying cluck, 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 cluck? He was making his point. Does it matter what they say about us? We don't want to give anybody insult because we are ministers of Christ. We're ambassadors for God, and so we don't try to offend people. But we can't let people manipulate us. Let's live the Eucharistic life and know who we are. And your mother's going to help you know who you are because you're her child. 
and she's going to help you live your life centered in the Eucharist. Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, pray for us.